Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This show is brought to you by... The Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's happening, everybody? It's Brian House here for the Work For Podcast right here on the Makery Network. We are in the studio, as always, with my main man, Mr. Trent Hill. Howdy, folks. And my beautiful wife. Hello. Sarah. And we are here to talk about our work, what our projects are for the week, what we've got going on. We are a part of the Makery Network. And if you don't know what that is, you can head over to the Makery.network website and you can check out all the other audio content that is available there, which is made by makers for makers and uh, it's some of the best podcast content in the world. I am going to throw the gauntlet down to anyone else who thinks they've got better content. Hit us up on our Instagram, workforit.podcast, and we'll have a podcast competition where I am the judge, jury, <laughs> and execution. You're making this up right now. I make up every single thing you ever hear. Your on the eyes fly. are just searching. I'm like, this is not a good. It's idea. all on the fly. That's right. how brilliant I right. am. All right, words, words don't fail me now. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I've got all the baloney and out of the way, and uh, I want to kick off the show with a very important topic. Boom! Hit us. The dogs. Root canal. Oh. oh, our dog Mac is a ninety-pound Danif, which is a mastiff, right? Mastiff and Great Dane. So he's just like if you can imagine a dog that's about the normal size of a dog, ninety pounds. That's a big dog for for the most part, medium to big dog. He's got paws like a Clydesdale, so he's got <laughs> these big monster feet. 
and his big floppy ears. He's like a really great dog. He's a, he's Just an awesome. A big dog. bag of goofy. Yeah, he got the he got the uh, the zoomies and ran up a flight of stairs at full tick and smashed his face into a tread, uh, like a hardwood tread. And yeah, then, this goes back to the purse cheese episode. It, yeah, so yeah, we've talked about this before, but I'm setting this it up. This is how hard it is to get an appointment <laughs> at a pet dentist. Yeah, so this happened like six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, he did this. Tomorrow. He broke the bottom canine tooth. You know, the big. You know, if you're looking at a dog and they have those two pointy teeth on the bottom jaw, he broke the left one off. If you're, yeah, it's his left one. And his right, his right, our left, and <laughs> uh, stage right, and uh, and so he legit snapped it off. It's like a, it's like you know when uh, Crocodile Dundee has that hat with all the alligator teeth in it. It looks like one of those. It's it was a clean break. It just snapped off. So obviously, it's hurting him. We take him to the vet. And to the tune of whatever, how much money they charge us to look at it, they sent us to a specialist. Yes, a specialist for a dog, a dental specialist. That that took, what, what, two weeks to get in to see that person about, right? Yeah. Two or three weeks. We take him in. They give us the rundown of what needs to happen. Essentially, they can't yank the tooth safely without weakening the lower jaw, which they don't want to do. So they've convinced us that the dog needs a root canal. And I'm like, you know, of course, the first thing I say is like, whoa, whoa, what's that cost? You were just like, what happens if we just leave it alone? And I'm like, you're crazy. (laughs) I mean, he is a dog, right? But yes, the tooth is important. You don't want it to get infected or like abscessed or... I Long really story short, know. it's an important tooth, so they're going to try and save it. Do root canal, and I'm surprised Brian didn't try to DIY something. Oh my god! I grabbed a Dremel. Sarah would not allow. Good girl, me to it do is it. not happen. I'm pretty sure the dog would have up with Sarah. it. And then it was like I took him there a couple weeks ago for his assessment, and the price tag associated with an anesthesiologist and a board certified <laughs> anesthesiologist, by the way. There is a board-certified dog anesthesiologist. Isn't that who you want working on the dog? Yes. If it were up to me, right? But he it's would not. just so. walk around with a bro- yeah. broken tooth. If, if no. it were up to Brian, we'd all be getting kidney transplants in Tijuana. <laughs> right. It's, it's cheaper down there, Trent. And they do just <laughs> as good a job. I mean, you might have a little bit of a different kind of scar afterwards. All right, well, but. you can do that. I'm like one of those dudes that if I lived in Texas, like right on the border, like in El Paso, I would legit cross the border to get my teeth worked on and then come back with some sort of like, I'd probably get tuberculosis or no, you'd, like hepatitis you'd come, you'd B. You'd come back and you'd have you'd be sporting a grill. Yeah, you'd be fine. They do a lot of gold replacements down there, yeah. which I'm a big fan of, by the way. I don't know why more people don't well, it's do better that. Well, it's better than the epoxy and shit that they put in your mouth. Well, that's what my mouth is f- filled with now. It's really... It looks like a tooth, you know, that like I have a crown on one side and I've got, you know, numerous like little fillings and stuff. And you can't really tell. I did have those um, silver that it was like silver and lead. I don't even know what they put in your mouth when we yeah, were kids. Yeah, it's a 
what do they call amalgam? Amalgam. 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 And it's like a mixture of mercury and lead and like pretty all much the, every all the toxic. best shit. All the yeah. best shit you want in your face hole. Some dentist was like, you know what? Let's take a mixture of like plutonium, mercury, <laughs> and uh, botulism and then inject it into people's mouths. And that'll cure a tooth real fast. It'll make it solid. Well, you, you want to know the old joke, Brian? Sure. Yeah. What do, you, what do you call the guy who graduates last in medical school? A dentist. Exactly. I didn't yeah. know you were an anti-dentite. I'm, I'm not. not an, I'm not either. It's just expensive. You told the joke. Listen. Well, it's it's mm. nothing. It's nothing against dentists, except for you know, it's like on the Hangover where he's like, "I'm a real doctor. You're a dentist." <laughs> that is true. Isn't that the guy that pulls his own tooth out? Like, yeah, halfway and through? gets the Mike Tyson tattoo on his face. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like gives a blowy to a tra- to a Thai hooker. <laughs> I don't remember that that scene in particular. That but was that like movie is really Hangover funny. Three. Oh, okay. See, I only saw the first one. I'm like, uh, I have a, I have trouble with all these additional films that they add on later. You know, well, you know, you, you got to ring it out. If, if you don't suck, if that. you don't suck all the joy and all the potential cash grab out. Well, they definitely did that with that franchise. I don't know if it lasted or it, you know, lived. You're up living to the, the dream where you've only seen the first one. Okay, and so you tell don't me, am have I the wrong? second one poisoning that? The second one is. Garbage, right? I mean, it was trash. Yeah, okay. I didn't see the third one. See, now back in the day when they made like Indiana Jones films, for oh, the most come on, part, the Crystal they were Skull, all, the Crystal Skull. Oh, okay. We can't bring Crystal Skull. Yeah, we, we can't, can't bring talk that about in. that one. That one's terrible. But we like agree. one, two, and three were really yeah. all solid. Oh, yeah. The Star Wars, I mean, they screwed it up in the late 90s with all the in a multitude CGI of ways. stuff. God, but yeah, the, but they, Jar Jar Binks. They've oh. come back now. They have come back and you know, done a hold great on. job. When we watched the remastered first one, or was it Jedi? We Is watched that the one a where New Hope. The one Lucas, with the 3D. Lucas, yeah, Lucas added a bunch of new digital effects to the original. Oh, trash. God. They trashed it. They broke it. We watched it. That's we Disney, though. That's that's not even Lucas. I mean, other than him getting he, greedy he let it and happen. selling out. He he let it happen. It's it. We're we're full on blaming. I wonder him. if he had like right of first refusal on that stuff. He could have just said you can't tamper with the films. I Maybe mean, he liked it. I don't, I know. don't know. Have you ever I watched can't. South Park? They've got some pretty good coverage of like Disney. Uh, Their opinion yeah. on Disney to me is like a hundred percent spot on. Mickey Mouse is like running an evil empire. Yeah, it it is like that. I I I see that in modern day film and television you know they're really trying to squeeze the business end of things out of things and i just i have to kind of see it from two different standpoints right like they need to make money and they need to do this stuff but also the quality in storytelling has oh yeah i forgot those two different viewpoints one where your head is on your shoulders the other is where your head is so far up your ass you're like looking for daylight well i try to (laughs) see daylight from my ass it's it's like kind of a it's it's a unique trait where some of us can actually do that it's a thing but i don't know i'm I'm working on it on a daily basis but when now that i've gotten into the business of creating content and making things on a social media platform i understand where you know some of these guys are coming from however the art form seems to be getting lost 
Um, well, uh, for instance, I, yeah. let me let me share this with you because I I think I don't know if you've ever seen this film, but um, I'm sitting at I'm sitting at very rarely do I get a moment to just watch like a movie that's not kid friendly. And the other night uh, we had no kids around, and I'm sitting there, and Sarah was doing something and whatever, and I'm like scrolling through Amazon, and I come across Trees Lounge. I don't know if you remember this film from the nineties, but Steve Buscemi is like a drunk and he like hangs out in a bar called trees lounge. Oh yeah. Okay. It's, it's like very vaguely, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not one of those films that got a whole lot of, um, uh, you know, notoriety. It just, it was, it's, it's a great story. Was, uh, Vince Vaughn in that one? Vince Vaughn is not in it, but pretty much everybody else is in it. Like a ton of guys from the Sopranos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay, the curly, yeah. cur- do you ever watch the Sons of Anarchy, the curly haired guy that's a little bit tubby? Um, yeah. That's kind of like his right hand man, Ron yeah. Perlman's right hand man. He's in it. He's like the male co star lead. And then every Baldwin is in it. So you got all the Baldwin <laughs> brothers and you've got Samuel Jackson's <laughs> in it. I mean, it, it's, it's just. Really good. It's it's a really great film to step back into the '90s and watch it. It's definitely rated R. You know, don't watch it around your kids or whatever. God, that was back when Steve Buscemi still looked young. Yeah, he looked pretty. I mean, for as good as Steve Buscemi can look, he looked great and uh, and did a great job. He's just a riveting actor, and I love watching his stuff. So it was. It, it's almost like a. You want to say it's either written or Quentin Tarantino had something to do with it because there's so many people that are in there, you know, part of Quentin's films are mm-hmm. in this film. And it was right released right around the same time as Pulp Fiction. So um, but I don't think it was. It, it's, it's it's completely separate worlds, I think. But um, great film. Go find it on Amazon Prime. It is free to watch. Trees Lounge. Excellent piece. So that's my my take on that. Well, at least at least kind of bringing it back around to what you were talking about. I I don't feel like, you know, other than your random grouchy trolls that are like, ah, 200 videos about grinders. I don't, I don't feel like you're really trying to wring. I don't feel like you're trying to wring every last drop out of your creative endeavors. I feel, I feel more like you're trying to see what's most effective. Yeah, in the early stages of content creation, you're kind of like just wondering what sticks. Like, yeah, what throwing works. shit at the wall and seeing. Yeah, but at the same time, I have a theme, you know, and and I'm I'm working towards. Uh, I'm really trying to like, I, I'm inspired by a bunch of YouTubers, and I know there's other people that say you shouldn't watch any other things because you get inspired, and you know it'll kind of shift your actual creative process, but. Man, I get so inspired by watching these other people create content. That's like Steven Spielberg never watching another movie. Like, yeah, there's it's it's interesting. I can see the argument. I understand it. I just um, I, I just think that there's so little originality anymore. The only way you can find true originality is to just keep creating, being being inspired by one thing, create something, put your own spin on it, and then continue to do that until you die. For the most part. Um, and then, you know, hope to God that you're recognized for your work, you know, and that's, that's really what we all want is we want to be known and recognized for the work that we've done. Um, at the same time, building a balance, uh, in life and work and family and all those things. That's my goal anyway. And, um, 
Also, my other goal has always been to bring value to a community that I really love. And that community is the people who are working, building and making things with their hands. A lot of my friends tend to be knife makers um, because that's you know what I'm doing and that's what the community I'm in. But I've got a lot of other people around me, too, that are machinists and, um, you know, people who are building houses and creating content and doing all these other things that I look up to uh, as well. So. I feel like excluding any of them, um, it's like very few people are doing anything super original anymore, but uh, they're approaching it. They're approaching unoriginal concepts in an original way, if that makes sense. Well, and sometimes uh, like the art of craftsmanship, they did a a video recently on uh, making a bow out of Osage orange. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him about it because, like, I've known about Osage Orange forever. That's what the Plains Indians used for their uh, their bows, and it's typically that's a kind type of, of wood. Yeah, right? it's it's called the hedge apple. Um, it's kind of a low. It's not a shrub, but it's like they they used to use it for hedgerows, and so there was pretty much it was pretty much kind of confined to. Uh, the southeast and the Mississippi River area. Uh, and so the, the Plains Indians would like, they would do their, they, they kind of, you know, they were, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were kind of like gypsies. It's not the right word, but they were nomadic. And and so they, they went to different areas of the country based on seasons. And so they would go, and when they went out there, they would have like gatherings and they would they would swap, you know, goods because like they'd they'd have uh, you know wolf pelts or beaver pelts or whatever, and they'd swap those with uh, the Midwest tribes, and the Midwest tribes would give them stuff that they'd gotten from other tribes or that they'd harvested and and collected and stuff. And then when they'd go back to their wintering grounds, they'd bring that stuff with them. And like Osage Orange was one of those trade goods. Anyways, it's it's pretty hard to find now because a lot of uh, farmers have just gotten rid of those hedgerows and they've pretty much eradicated it as a species. So finding decent Osage orange is pretty hard. So that's how we kind of got into that, you know, talking, uh, going down that rabbit hole was talking about he's using a very traditional material and traditional techniques and it's it's almost new again because so many people have forgotten the old ways. And how did they acquire it? Because they're up in Maryland, I assume. Right. It doesn't they grow they had a. It was like through a family friend. They had some, and he was able to get a pretty good uh, stash of it before, mm. and and had had it on hand for a while. Yeah, that's interesting. I I absolutely love their work. You know this. I've mm-hmm. said this numerous times, and um, but I, I listen to every one of their podcasts. I watch all their videos. There's so much care put into what they do. It's it's just fantastic. And if anyone deserves to be recognized for their work, it's those guys. Well, just, their whole their whole family's interesting. Yeah, totally. It, their brother Derek is now mm-hmm. starting to create content, and mm-hmm. his stuff is really good. I mean, it's it's almost as if the family is like a bunch of uh, savants. Uh, yeah, I don't want to use that term so much, but I want to say like. 
like the Royal Tenenbaums. I don't know if you ever saw <laughs> yeah, that film. Yeah. You know how each one of them has their own like unique trait in their mm-hmm. in their own way, and that's kind of the the O'Hara family, uh, which I think is super interesting. And I hope at some point I get to go up there and hang out with those guys, um, and at least go sailing with them. Uh, I want to try to time that so when I'm up there, we can actually uh, do. They do like uh, regattas every weekend. Yeah, you, you guys have fun out there where the the sharks and the dolphins can eat you. I, I, I I'll used keep to my be, landlubber ass right on shore where it belongs. I used to have that same feeling until I did it. Until I went and did it. And then I was scared out of my mind, you know, when you're offshore and you can't see land and, you know, all those things, it's, it really messes with you. I'm a, I'm a meat a bag. I'm a meat bag that sinks in freshwater and I don't swim that well. And it's like, yeah, if I go overboard, I'm just, I'm fucked. Like, we should just throw you a, like a lead balloon. Cause you're gone anyway. Right. Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> there's no, even there's no delusion in my mind that I'm going to be the guy that washes up like on an abandoned Island. <laughs> will you be breathing though will you be tom hanks in no. uh, castaway no no i would be i would be whale poop i gotcha well i uh i love it so i love being off and and sailing and all that I, it's one of my passions and being um just kind of it, like in when you're in florida you know there's so much concrete here mm-hmm. you're in an urban jungle when you get on a boat and you head out it's quiet and it's just you're away from everything and it's it's a uh, and then of course there's life all around you in the in in the water and fish and turtles and yes sharks and dolphins and all that stuff too so but i the, love it i can't the, i wouldn't trade it for anything the weird tangent is that the the US navy has best recruit uh best recruiting efforts in like the midwestern states i guess there's something about looking across the prairies that is probably oh, interesting. The, the closest to uh, looking across the ocean. I, I have buddies who joined the Navy and totally regretted it. Like they, they ended up in a, like on a um, aircraft carrier in like Bahrain, you know, like they're just hating life, you know? Uh, and, and it's, it's kind of sad because, you know, you think of the Navy as like this, uh, exciting career, but uh, it's for according to these guys, you know, they're doing a lot of um, they're not doing a lot of deck time. They're they're below, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard for them. But uh, but they're doing the Lord's work, man, out there. Protecting well, and then the there's country. then those there's those special crazy souls, the submariners, like they have oh to fit a certain psychological program, uh, not program. They have to fit a certain psychological profile, profile because. You go you can go insane like you don't have your normal circadian rhythms and they intentionally they run on like a 20 hour clock uh and so pretty soon your night is actually daytime and vice versa and uh you know I mean you could be underwater for s- 6 weeks to 6 months 6 months would be like worst case scenario like nuclear war but I mean you know they they will they'll go down and they'll stay down for weeks at a time and they they talk about uh i have a friend who is a submariner and he talks about you know just the air uh it basically smells like recycled farts and like <laughs> you realize you realize that all the dust you're sweeping up is somebody's hair or uh skin follicles yeah we have a close family member who uh it would be kind of interesting to get uncle wayne on here mm-hmm. and talk and have him tell these stories 
Uh, we have a close family friend, uh, Uncle Wayne. It, he was a submariner during, was it Vietnam? Yeah, I think it was Vietnam. That would have been the war he was in. And uh, there, there's a sister submarine to his submarine at, that actually went down to do a dive test. And uh, there was a, it was a broken seal near the nuclear reactor, nuclear reactor, nuclear, nuclear, nuclear reactor. And, um, and uh, essentially uh, that seal broke and um, they were not able to resurface. So the submarine was lost. Meanwhile, so they went, so that particular submarine that failed was at like 700 plus feet and was going down. Uh, and they were both at the same time doing this exact same test in the exact same submarine. And somehow they got a communication to the other submarine to also not do this. Like, do not go any further, turn around and come back up. And that's the only reason he's alive. I mean, he tells the story way better than I ever could. But uh, Thanksgiving, like, what, two years ago? He mm-hmm. told it at the table and it was riveting. I mean, it takes him like 20 minutes to tell a story. It's it's riveting. Um, and, uh, but he's like one of those guys that could, you could literally put uncle Wayne in, in anything. And he'd just be like, Oh, okay. You know, sure. Okay. You want me underwater for like, you know, eight months? Ah, okay. Like he's, <laughs> the guy's got a constitution. He's just, he's even keeled and solid and, uh, he can put up with anything. That guy, he's a great guy and he has a great mustache. <laughs> he does. The, na- the Navy guys cool. tend to do, tend to have. They either have those little mousy mustaches where it's like seven hairs across their lip or they've got like those thick, bushy lumberjack mustaches. He's got the handlebar going on and he he waxes it in a full on, you know, twist that comes up. Yes. The, like the guy Disney from Jumanji. Villain. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Shifting gears into a project that I've been going that I've had going on. Some of you, if Which you're one? honest, I know that you have like two or three. I have multiple projects going on. And the one that I want to bring up right now is that I am installing an outdoor shower and I'm learning all about stainless steels and how to work with them and actually how to machine them and do all that stuff. Yes, I, the, I, the, I, the best thing is to let someone else work with them. Well, I'm going to uh, take a beating, take one for the team and try to figure it out for myself. Uh, I think that I'll be able to cut it with the plasma table. Oh, yeah. It'll cut just fine. It'll cut. And then obviously need to drill my holes because I'm just so you're aware, I'm putting in an outdoor shower. We are putting in a swimming pool in our backyard. We've lived in this house for three years, two years. I know. True true third world conditions. Yes. And you can't live in if you live in Florida without a swimming pool, you're you're in the on, under the poverty level. It's really true. It's it's terrible. Stop you got it. you have to have a swimming pool. So we decided this year was going to be the year we're going to do a swimming pool and um put one in. And uh I went to a neighbor's house and talked with them about their pool, kind of getting ideas or whatever, and they're like, "You know, the one thing we didn't do that we wish we would have done is put in an outdoor shower." And they're like, "Your backyard is already dug up. It'd be pretty easy to like throw some, you know, pipe in the ground and just do it." So I talked to the pool builder. He was like, "Yeah, run the PEX and do your thing." And uh, you know what PEX is, right? We've talked about this. Yeah, it's that plastic uh, yeah, piping. It's, it's polyethylene cross-linked pipe, which is why it's PEX because it's P, poly, E, ethylene, and X is for cross-link. 
Interesting. Okay. So it's it's essentially you can buy it in red and blue for hot and cold. Or white. And, or yeah, or clear. Yeah, like yeah. there's like a clear version of it too. And our house when it was built two years ago was plumbed this way. They plumbed everything in PEX. So I've got PEX coming out in my lanai. And for those of you who don't know what a lanai is, it's a screen enclosure or like a Florida room, some people call it, uh, on the back of the house. And then we had it all plumbed for hot and cold water. And uh, But we don't have anything there. <clears throat> we actually never built an outdoor kitchen. It's just like plumbed for one. Uh, so I was like, you know, it'd be pretty straightforward to dig a trench, run some uh, PEX over to this pillar and blah, blah, blah. I cut into the pillar and put the pipe up through. And uh, and I got to tell you, as much plumbing as I've done in my life, which is not a lot, but I've always been frustrated by it. Like if you've ever tried to sweat a pipe, uh, yeah. it, it can be tough. I mean, it's not easy stuff to, it's, to it's make it It's a learned seal. skill. And if you don't do it frequently, you kind of le- you kind of lose it. Yeah, and I, I actually had a plumber friend of mine show me how to sweat a pipe one time the proper way because I had tried to do it and could not get it done. Uh, it's a lot of flux, and the key, and this is what he told me, and it worked, is the pipe has to be absolutely dry. Like mm-hmm. you cannot have any water in the pipe or anywhere near it because it will uh, wick the heat away from the solder. Yeah, And uh, he's and absolutely other- right. The only other thing I would include in that is most people don't do a good enough job of removing oxidation. Yes. Um, because then your flux is trying to deoxidize the copper surface instead of wetting out the solder. 100%. Clean copper, fluxed copper, no water. There's like a lot of things that you have to have in order to get a good uh, connection between p- two pieces of copper. So, uh, None of that needs to happen with PEX. I don't know if you've ever uh, used a PEX crimping tool, yes. but it is but wonderful. It's fantastic. That it's is like, wonderful. But it's what's great. even better is shark bite fit- fittings. I keep some in my rig just because the last they thing I great. the last thing I ever want to do is go to uh, an emergency call and not have some kind of emergency supplies. Shark bite is great. I, I don't think plumbers like them very much. But no, I've but, replaced you know, a few wa- hot water heaters, and yeah. you just use those shark bite fittings with the flexible hose on it. It's insanely easy. Yes, and that's exactly and as long as you've leak. got a good flush trimmed uh, pipe or hose, because that's a great thing. You you can get fl- uh, shark bites that will go from like a, a copper stub to your pecs. Yeah, and, well, in fact, the, all the fittings that I purchased. Uh, for the brass fittings that I purchased for this installation are all made by SharkBite because mm-hmm. they are smart and they pivoted. Mm-hmm. They weren't just like, oh, you know, we're going to make stuff for copper. We're going to actually, you know, the world is moving to PEX. Mm-hmm. So they got smart. So uh, I have yet to ever have a PEX fitting leak the first no, it's, time. No, it's a crimp. As long as you've got a good crimp, it's, it's you know, the guys that want to try to do the uh, – they don't want to buy the crimping tool, and so they it's try fifty to like bucks. Close, it's like yeah, ridiculous. so they try to close the clamps with the by like hand a, with a pair of pliers. Yeah, yeah and then it's like, well, yeah, you don't have enough, you don't have a proper squeeze on it, and so what's going to happen is eventually the water is going to leak past, and then you've got a you've got a situation on your hands. Uh, yeah, I bought the fifty dollar crimper from Amazon, mm-hmm. and it's just 
yeah, I mean, the, the key lesson here, as with everything with tools, don't cheap out thinking that you're going to be more clever than the people that invented the shit. Not only that, it's like you're saving the money by not paying someone else to do it. So just buy the tool. Yeah. And then you have that tool for later projects. You can use it for something else. And then, you know, and then just do it right. So, because those little crimp on rings, you can get like 10 of them for three or four bucks. Oh, yeah. You can get a bag of 50 for like, it's not even 10 bucks. Yeah. And they're stainless steel. Yeah. They're beautiful. Sarah. How many times have you used your crimping tool? Well, I plumbed the uh, the laundry room with it. All right, one. Okay, and then I plumbed the garage sink. Okay, two. And then I just plumbed this uh, outdoor shower. I feel like you got your money. If I would have hired there a plumber to do all three of those, that would have been close to a thousand dollars. Well, I was okay. going to say you couldn't even get a plumber to show up for fifty bucks an hour. No, no, not at all. So, and that's that's the thing. And yeah, it's not and, and that. In the grand scheme of things, fifty bucks is nothing. I mean, I. I, I you know me, I, I I have great sympathy for people who are in lower income brackets, but it's like, you know, if you can't afford fifty bucks, you're you're truly fucked. Like let's there's not, a lot of people in the world that can't afford it. They there and I, I, and I, and I know that, but and that's why I'm sympathetic to it. But it's like yeah. you know, I think I'd rather eat a few more uh a few more uh containers of ramen than try to do it with a side nip and oh yeah there's ways to mitigate costs you know in your yeah. life uh there's there's a lot of people that uh, don't understand how finances work or, or can't make money or whatever and, and I, I'm, I'm empathetic to them as well i just i uh i try to do as much as i can on my own you know that's the thing is like every if you if you would have met me 20 years ago i was just like i am now about 20 pounds lighter I was not as handsome. I feel like I'm more handsome now. More peach I, fuzz. Yeah, I was I was very fuzzy, but I was exactly like this. I was the kid who was, you know, in my apartment building running Cat5 cable and sharing internet with my neighbors and, you know, so we could save money. And over the years, I've just been, some people would call me cheap. I like to use the term <laughs> frugal, all right? Uh, and I, I do as much as I can on my own, which saves you know, money. Plus, I learn a lot of stuff, at and least, I can pass it on to my kids. Yeah, at least you're not at the point where you're like uh, trying to recycle condoms. No, I don't do rinse, that rinse or reuse Ziploc bags like a lot of people do. <laughs> Have you seen this where people like will rinse out a Ziploc bag and reuse it? I I have to admit I'm guilty of that, but I have a specific. What? It's the only time I use it. So, I because we we buy a side of beef, so I have to thaw meat and i don't like to just put it in the refrigerator because my refrigerator set cold enough that the middle of whatever i'm trying to thaw it never thaws oh so unless i want to leave it in there for three days you know so what i do is i take whatever package of meat i put it in a ziploc bag and that ziploc bag goes in a bowl of water in the sink and then that's all that bag gets used for sure so i i rinse it out and i put it on the 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 dish dryer thing sure and and that's all that bag gets used for is for thawing meat in a in a bowl of water you're a psychopath what else can i say i don't <laughs> actually, know actually i think that's okay <laughs> no, no that's acceptable i'm kidding <laughs> yeah. I, I if you use the bag for the same thing 
that's fine. Yeah, it's, like, it's not it's like it's like bag. oh yeah, I I got to rinse the mayo from my sandwich off because oh. I might want to put <laughs> oh. like, grapes in it tomorrow. No, God no, yeah. you get trichinosis. Dude. Yeah, it's like it's like that's why they make Tupperware. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If you're gonna do that, use the appropriate thing. But yeah, this is a great segue for me, by the way, because because you I used also, to sell Tupperware. I did not sell Tupperware. <laughs> you were I Uncle. Am, you were Uncle I'm, Rico in a previous. I'm related life? to Uncle Rico. He is. He is a family member of mine. Uh, I have lived in a van, and I have videotaped myself playing football. <laughs> just, just so we're clear, the trifecta. Yes, uh, but. No, I have been doing. I shared something on Instagram uh, a couple of days ago. You share about, a lot of things on Instagram. I do share a lot of Instagram stuff. I get a lot of traction on Instagram now. I'm 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 approaching two thousand followers. Uh, oh my you know, god! Yes. I'm like ten percent of what you're at. Yeah, but, but it, I have it to takes say, a while. Instagram. Yeah, I have tough. to say, I'm impressed with how quickly I've gathered two two hundred followers. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh, not easy. In fact, I sat at two. I, like it, it took me probably close to two years to get two hundred followers on Instagram. I mean, it, that's crazy fast growth. But Instagram is tough. Like it's hard to get people to um to join up and follow you and stuff. Um, so when I see people that have over a thousand or I mean, gosh, some people have like 10,000, 100,000 followers on Instagram. They have, they have to buy followers. There's no fucking way. I don't who know. The hell? Like, look at, uh, do you know who A-Bomb79 is? Yeah. The machinist? Yeah. He has 108,000 followers. But that's I mean, also, I, that's also, I don't a think lot of his those. growth comes from his YouTube channel. Totally. 100%. I mean, the guy is, he's a super nice guy and he does amazing things and he educates people. And well, so and he, I he does he a lot of collaborative stuff with other uh, YouTube and Instagram yep. personalities. Yep. Exactly. So he's got a lot of crossover because he goes and does that. Uh, I don't know. It's something bash, but it's like all these yeah. machinists and blacksmiths to get together and they like play with steam engines and shit like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's and a, then, uh, but he, he did something with the well.com guys. They made a, uh, they made a, like one of those Brazilian barbecue grills. The ones and, with like the the pulley system where yeah. it comes up and, and down, yeah. And they that. made it for Sam the cooking guy. Yeah, yeah, that was an awesome collaboration. I yeah, didn't and even that's know those the thing. Existed. So you got three different audiences there that all converged on one project. That's how social media is supposed to be achieved, by the way. So like when you start uh, maxing out the algorithm to where you're no longer relevant to your audience, or you're only relevant to your own audience. And you've reached the pinnacle of that audience. The only way to branch out into new audiences is through collaboration. And I've said this so many times. In fact, I've reached out. And, and later in the show, I want to talk about that because I've asked a smaller YouTuber to do a collaboration with me uh, because I stumbled upon his channel uh, in just researching something. And, and the guy hadn't made a video in like three months or four months. And I just reached out to him and said, dude, you need to make content again. Cause you know how, when you see somebody making content and they're only getting a hundred views, but 200 their, views but on their, their stuff, but they're really good. Is so good. It's so good. And you're yeah. like, son of a gun, this guy needs more exposure. So, um, I offered to do a collab with him and, uh, hopefully he'll reach back out to me. But speaking, get, speaking of which, sorry, not, not to interrupt because I really do want you to get to your point, but it was a perfect segue for me. So it, uh, there's a YouTube channel called, um, 
hold on just a second. I'm sorry. I am just filling air right now with random speech while I wait for this. Okay. William Douglas Co., they build furniture. And I have been an ardent follower of theirs for, oh, God, I don't know, at least a year now. This is a YouTuber. Yes. it's Well, it's 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 a group of, of furniture makers who have their own YouTube channel. And I have gotten along extraordinarily, extraordinarily well with them because, I, you know, my kind of sour attitude. And they have a great sense of humor. <laughs> and uh, That's funny. And uh, they're just, they're doing some really impressive stuff. And, you know... They've they've experienced the ups and downs. They've actually had phenomenal growth on YouTube, but as far as the business end, this year has really thrown them for a loop because you can tell that, like everybody else, they're having to scramble and and everything. But I, I want people to go check them out because they are yeah they're not knife makers, but they are makers. They build some awesome furniture. They've got. A hilarious sense of humor, a lot of pop culture references, a lot of they're a little hipsterish, but they pull it off. And and they're just they're that their videos are super well produced, super well edited. They're just a great group of people. And uh I can say after interacting with them for most of a year that you know they're definitely the type of people that I would like to sit down and have a drink with, maybe eat a taco. And just shoot the shit about life. William Douglas Co. Yep. is the name of. All right, we'll put a link down in the show notes so that you can go out and follow them. Sarah, how many uh, followers do they have on their channel? A lot. Um, just under twenty k. So nineteen thousand subscribers. subscribers yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Nineteen point seven. We are approaching. Not to steal their thunder, but we are approaching twenty five thousand. Subscribers, 25,000, if you can imagine that. I, I think I meant like 12, 15. Thousand? No. Oh, 12 or 15. 12. Yeah, period. Oh, I'm one of, I'm one <laughs> but, of them, by the but way. But yes, you are. And and that's what I wanted to say is I have quality subscribers because it's like you, <laughs> uh, it's like you, the art of craftsmanship. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. Uh, you know. Pretty much all of the guests that we've had, but also some other big name YouTubers. So there are people out there listening to the podcast because every yes. time I get a new subscription, it's not like, you know, Joe Blow 69. It's like a big YouTube name, uh, someone that I've watched for years. So it's like, yeah, that's really, that's really heartening to me that like these big guys are at least willing to watch my, cause you've, you've seen my videos. They're shit. They really are. They're truly shit. They need a little polishing. Yes, but they need, they need that, a lot of you know, polishing. Yeah, well, you know, you're getting into it. You're just getting started. It's a it's a thing. And I think uh, your attraction, I think the, the attraction to you as a content creator is who you are. Uh, so more of Trent uh, and, and, you know, and mixing it in with your projects. I think people like you a lot. In fact, uh, I get messages a lot about uh, our podcast and what we're up to. In fact, I get more messages about the podcast than I do about the YouTube channel. Uh, but uh, the, you know, what the consensus is, 
is that uh, people really enjoy this and they're listening and it's fantastic to be um, a part of something that uh, is helping people do their work and entertaining them all at the same time. So I'm super stoked to be a part of it. Yes. And I'm glad I'm, that you're here. You know? I'm incredibly flattered that I get to hang out with two really cool people once a week, drink some, drink some alcohol shoot the shit and that there are people out there that are willing to listen to me drone on about whatever nonsense I've got going on in my life. It is, uh, it is kind of fascinating, but I, I, at the same time, I think that, uh, we have a, we have a good formula and that we're, you know, we're doing what we don't need to pat ourselves on the back. You know, I do that enough all day long. Uh, so (laughs) he already called you like the Spielberg of the group. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I was about to be like, let's let's hold on a second here. <laughs> well, see, look, it's I like Spielberg you have not to li- watching You have to live movies. with him, Sarah. I can pump his head up, and then you've got to deal with the fallout. Oh, my God. I'm just saying, I went through the uh, same film program as Robert Zemeckis. So. Well, in that case, I'm waiting for a follow-up to 16 Candles because... Hey, man. Hey, I'm just, just letting you know where my roots are. That's all I'm saying. Okay, You're I, I, really great. <laughs> do you do you guys have like uh, celebrity crushes? Like because my wife's is The Rock, and that's terribly emasculating because no, I'm I a like big him. guy, but I can't compete with the fucking Rock, dude. He's amazing. Yeah, he's great. I, I yeah, mean, I can like, see the draw to him because he just like seems like a fun guy. Oh like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, wait, Sarah's I, about ready to say something. Hold yeah. on, Trent. She's <laughs> Go about. Re- yeah. She's got something to say. Jump in there, no, Sarah. No, I, hey, hey, hey. I don't really have one. I appreciate The Rock. And he's super charming and he can sing and he's like a great he's dad. He's funny as fuck. He's so, so funny and so nice. However, I have come into some information that my daughter has a celebrity crush. Ooh, spicy. Are you ready for this? She's 13. You should lead lead and- into how this crush was revealed. Okay. Well, it'll reveal it immediately because I was like, you know, she's never seen The Terminator. And I think that's a really important film. And she's got to <laughs> see it because I love that movie. And the second one is really great, too. Okay. Um, so I was like, hey, you want to watch The Terminator? And she was into it, which shocked me to death because it wasn't Minecraft or, you know, whatever. They're playing upstairs, Left for Dead. Um so she wanted to watch it. And immediately, like the second she sees Arnold Schwarzenegger beam in from the the future, she's like, who dis? <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, wait a minute, what? And she is He's all- your grandfather's age. Oh my God. <laughs> she was all about him. I actually took notes on some of the stuff she was saying because it was so funny. To, I mean, the movie's not that great, whatever, but it was great. Um, and she's like in love with him the whole time. She's like those legs though. Like when he's kind of crouched down and you can see his This is only like four or five years after he won like his second or third Mr. Olympia. That's what I told her. I was like, he was Mr. Universe or, and he's doing Mr. Olympia and stuff. Yeah. So he was like primo jacked back then. I mean, he's, I wish to God that I would be half as built as he is at his age. Because he's still amazingly fit for a, God, what is he, 76, 77? Uh, he was born in 
46. Yeah, yeah he's, so he's, he's old as balls, and he's like, he's <laughs> fitter at his age now than I was in my mid-20s. Yeah, he looks great. So, but it was funny to just like see my 13 year old like oh, he's so hot oh my god those cheekbones <laughs> she was all about it mm-hmm. yeah it was great and then the whole like linda hamilton being such a badass you know she was like way into her uh in the second what one did she think of edward uh well, he was only 10 in that movie. Right. So, because she's 13. So yeah, just he's wondering. just like a kid. Yeah. And, uh, but no, she only had eyes for, for Arnold. Interesting. I, ha- I have to say, unless you're blind, how could you not be impressed by that huge chunk of meatloaf? Yeah, he is definitely meaty. Would you say that uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is like the next generation of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Probably probably more impressive because Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of embodied the 80s action star. But The Rock is pushing 50, and he is equally, if not more, jacked than at the point that... uh, uh, Arnold Arnold started like getting these action roles but like Arnold's funny don't get me wrong I've seen some of his stuff and he he actually has some comedic chops but like I mean kindergarten cop I mean come on man all I, right I mean this but is, the rock but, is like really actually funny yeah, yeah the rock right, is I, like legitimately he I've almost needed to piss my pants because he's so funny like he really and, is and he's like he's in a bunch of family movies that yeah. are actually very good and yeah and not wins. like super cheesy like uh right that one where vin diesel was like a navy seal and he was babysitting that was terrible yeah that was awful <laughs> that was so bad but the rock is great he, the rock is great he's charismatic he's kind he's he's really cool he's he's always about like he okay you want to talk about work for it that guy has a work ethic that rivals, if not surpasses, Arnold Schwarzenegger's. What about my work ethic, though? Really, I, mean, I, I hate to say it. You're you're like I think the rock a one and a half to the one. rock. I lo- I love you, yeah. Brian. He seems but the rock is yeah. a fucking maniac. He's up at four o'clock in the morning. He like trains six hours a day. He's and in- then he eats like a dozen eggs for a snack. Yeah, and he does he does charity events. He does these he does he hosts, he does movies, he does TV shows. He wins like the kids choice awards. Yeah, I mean he's, he's always he is a fucking maniac. I agree. I think he's he's definitely in my opinion, if you take Arnold Schwarzenegger, who I love, I think he's a great, you know, actor and personality. And you take Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and you put them side by side. Dwayne just seems like he's got the whole package. Like he's muscular, he's handsome, he's funny, he's approachable. You know, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Arnold has a lot of those qualities. However, I feel like you know Dwayne is just—he's just like the Rock. The-, the Rock has never knocked up his housekeeper and kept his love child secret. <laughs> oh my God! I told I her. I told her about that because then she was like, "What?" She wanted to know all about his life and stuff, and um, and she was like, 
I, you know, he has a pretty squeaky clean image except for that incident. Yeah. Cause she was like, Oh, did he ever like end up in rehab or anything? I'm like, No, he no, never really did the anything. The only drugs he really did was steroids. Exactly. And he also was very sex positive. I mean, the guy was like, he, there's video of him talking about all that stuff, even back in the 70s where it was just taboo to talk about. Well, him. not only that, but like, can you imagine? being one of the chicks that he's bedded and then for him to say in interviews and on movies that getting a pump is way better than busting a nut. Yeah. That's the, the, the film that I was talking about. Cause it's like so weird to look back and listen to him Mm -hmm. say that on camera. Mm -hmm. And then he got uh, elected the um, governor of California. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, it basically just goes to show you that dude. if the, um, if the rock wanted to be president, he's got my vote. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think he'd do a great job. He'd be, he'd be a he, good leader. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, he, he'd he be would, a great leader. He would do so much better than He's just great. I'd follow that guy into battle. He's like yeah. Captain America. He really is. He really is. He's Getting like, back uh, to what I was saying though, where this <laughs> tangent went, I had shared something about my meal prep on oh, yeah. Instagram. <laughs> and I this is where this all ended up somehow with Dwayne Wasn't Johnson being the president. It was today, but this show won't come out for another two weeks. Oh, right. So you just ruined it. Good job. Sorry. Duh, duh, duh. No, I'm kidding. Oh it's my- fine. Everybody knows we pre record Sarah, just show. go ahead and punch him in the junk. <laughs> I shouldn't drink. No, no. So, uh, so yeah. So I share on Instagram my, my meal p- prep, and I... I hesitate to show stuff like that because I'm like, you know, it's nothing to do with my workshop or my studio or whatever else I'm up to. But a lot of people message me and they're like, where do you find time to do all this stuff? You know, it's like every single day I am an efficiency expert. I look for efficiency problems in my workflow, not only when I'm working on something or building something or prototyping something, but when my life becomes so busy that I don't have time to eat because Mm -hmm. I know I'm better when I'm fed. And, uh, you know, it's no secret that Sarah doesn't enjoy kitchen time that much. So she, you know, she's not cooking. I'm the one that cooks a lot. And I am so busy during the week that unless I prepare all of my meals ahead of time, uh, I will, I'm the type of person that just will go all day and not consume any food. Like I will just eat like beef jerky and a handful of trail mix and just plow through the day. And or I'll a do, drawer I'll full do of the- Snickers. <laughs> this is my problem. I'll do the same thing though. I'll have like a handful of crackers and then not eat dinner. And then Brian's eating something by himself. Oh, I can't do that. I get so hangry. Like but the, he, the wife will miserable. seriously, we're, if we're going someplace, she's like, now do you need to eat something? Because I definitely ask I need him. You. I, I make sure he's fed. Yeah, she's but like, I'm not cooking it. I need you to be on your best behavior. So if you're going to be peckish, you're like a child, by the way, and she's your mother. I'm just saying that this is the conversations that I have with my kids. I'm like, listen, you guys need to eat before we go. I th- I say that exact same thing. But when you kids. get home from, I'm like, have you eaten? When did you eat something she does last? Do, she do you does need a snack? Take a snack in the car. If I seem annoyed, there's two things that are usually just because I'm a, like a, basically a child. Have I eaten? Do I have a full diaper <laughs> or have I slept? Yeah. That my two my two big ones is typically the diaper or not enough sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah I, that's exactly I, it. I'm the kid that takes their diaper off and wipes shit on the walls. So you know Oh my god. Yeah, I could see you doing that. Absolutely. So anyway, meal prep one oh one. 
Uh, I Because I'm a gluten-free guy, I do rice, and then I do some sort of meat, vegetable, and cheese, and then I season it with whatever. I make 10 at a time. And then uh, they all go in the fridge or the freezer, and then I pull them out as I need them, throw them in a the microwave for two minutes. I've got uh, a halfway decent meal. And um, I'm the type of person that can just eat the same thing over and over and over, and it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, so I just, can't do know, that. Yeah. I, I I don't really care. I mean, well, I mean on the I, weekends. I, I, I admire up. someone that can do that because, like, then you're just eating for sustenance. You're not – like, I get a little too wrapped up in flavors and combinations and, ooh, I can I can up my culinary skills by trying this new technique and – it, See, it just, I can't be as bourgeoisie as you about all of this food stuff. I, you know, I, I, I don't have that like luxury. I just have to like feed myself and then just, you know, go. I mean, I don't know. I gotta say, weekends though, I'm all about five guys because I'll eat a burger and fries, and chicken wings. Chicken I was wings. really surprised the other day when I sent you a snapshot from Five Guys, and I didn't get a response. No, no, I did. I responded. I don't remember that. No, I responded because I was impressed. I didn't say much. I was just like, oh, my God, or something like that is <laughs> what I wrote because I was in the middle of something. But I will say I was going to ask you about that because didn't you say like the closest five guys is like 100 miles away from you or something? Yeah, we finally 100? got we finally got the window replacement scheduled. So ah, we, we incorporated yes. a couple of different things. We uh, We got to spend time with one of Melissa's interns who works at the Billing Zoo. And we got to get the window fixed, and we got to uh, we bought that uh that big huge uh, yard wagon that I threw the bricks from dismantling the chimney into uh, because maybe next episode or the episode after I'll have some good news to share with the audience, but it's a little too early for that. But anyways, the point is is that that will have plenty of use down the road yeah those things are awesome is that a dump wagon yes yeah those are great 1500 pound capacity yeah is that it has a hydraulic on it so you can a dump wagon no no it's just it's just a spring-loaded handle okay but the the pivot point is at the right place so that when you pop it it just immediately dumps there's no fighting with gravity when I was a kid, one of the big projects my dad and I did was we rebuilt a dump wagon, and it was so cool. It was like uh, it was an old one, but it had a hydraulic on it. So mm-hmm. I grew up in a family like my dad had a construction company, so uh, we had like a crane and a backhoe and and uh, all the fun John toys. Deere. Yeah, yeah. I I was driving a Bobcat by the time I was twelve, like a skid steer. Um, and, uh, and I was exposed to a lot of like big, heavy machinery when mm-hmm. I was a young man. And, uh, so he would take this, we had a John Deere diesel. I can't remember the model, but it had, uh, it just had a, just a, a regular bucket on the front, but it had mm-hmm. a PTO on the back. So you could like hook up, you know, a bush hog or whatever mm-hmm. you yeah. wanted to it. And, uh, he would hook up a dump trailer to this thing. Well, we had this dump trailer and it was, God, it must've been. 25 years ago, it was probably like 30 or 40 years old. I mean, it was just, it was a rickety old thing with, you know, an old battle wagon. Yeah. And it was rusting, falling apart. My dad told me like, Hey, we're going to tear all the wood off of it. Cause it had wood sides and we're going to, you know, replace all the steel. And that was like the first time I got exposed to welding 
and you know doing all that and we ripped it all apart and replaced the hydraulic cylinder in it and uh and then made it compatible with the john deere so you could you know we would take it and uh fill it with whatever gravel or you know dirt and that then, just that uh, sorry i gotta interrupt go that reminds yeah, me yeah. of the ship of theseus it's like after so many refits is it still the original ship oh man that argument by the way is uh God, was I having that conversation with you? Like originally, you and I talked about that. If you replace every plank on yeah, a boat, yeah, I, I think I think it was that, one of that our would first have been a while ago. Yeah, it was one of our first conversations. Yeah. That's like the um, existential argument: mm-hmm. is if you if you replace every single piece of something one at a time, is it still that same something? And my argument was, especially in boats, is that yes, because. Uh, I believe a boat has a soul. It's right. Like a, it has a well, life. It's like a person. Every seven years, every cell in your body has been replaced. Yeah. It's the same concept, right? And, but you're and, still uh, you're Brian still House. You're not a new entity. I am the You're just a better, improved version of what you used to be. Yeah. Mostly tacos and Snickers bars. <laughs> oh, God. I love me some tacos. Snickers By are all way, right. But tacos, like... Seriously, that's my lifelong quest. My goal is to find the ultimate taco before I die. You will find it at my house. I'm I'm down. Because I make a damn good taco for a white guy. I'm down. Speaking of which, I have not had a single bit of candy in two weeks. Wow. Not one. I have not consumed a single piece of candy. I'm proud of you because I've been trying to cut out the sugar and the other day I caved and I asked the wife and that's when she brought me the the Mountain Dew and the uh the Reese's the big Your cup. wife loves you. Yes. She loves you so much. Yes. But you know, I here I am, I cave into a moment of weakness and you've gone like a full two weeks when you were like pounding that shit pretty hard, pretty regularly. I was uh I was definitely not behaving myself. And also, by the way, I have cut my wine consumption way back. Alcohol consumption way back. I so I just I heard myself on the podcast talking about all that stuff, and I'm like, I sound like a moron. I'm an idiot. I should stop <laughs> doing this. And uh, so, if anything, this podcast might help me uh, get a little bit healthier as far okay. as my choices go. But uh, yeah, so I I'm like, you know, hey, uh, I need to fix that, obviously. And what it did was it kind of motivated me to do some other stuff. You know, uh, I cleaned uh, a little bit of my shop where I've been avoiding it. And uh, also I, I put out a video last week and um, and uh, it, it was a video that I've been wanting to make for a while and just hadn't done. And then now I'm going to make a sister video to that one where um, uh, uh, this this is a perfect segue into talking about some of the YouTubers that I've like, come across. And for instance, this person that I was telling you before mm-hmm. who's making content and hasn't made one. Yeah, he uh, he made a video about using a drill press to uh uh tap something okay yeah and and uh so when i made the video last week about double tapping through uh structural tube steel uh which shout, by the way shout out to dave evader by the way of oh, dave dude, of yeah. evader knives how weird is that by the way that was not planned he was doing that at the same time i was doing mine and we were both tapping tooling arms at the same time and then sharing content back and forth on Instagram, which was not planned. I swear to God, that was so weird. 
But uh, anyway, so uh, and he had the idea of the left-handed thread, which made sense in my head at first. And then later you came back with all your machinist jargon and you were like, no, 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 helix and flux capacitors and all this other stuff. <laughs> we had no, I was like, whatever. All right. So we figured it out. But anyway, I made that video. I put it out. And I mean, instantly people are writing it. You know, you can just put the tap in the drill press and, you know, you don't have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I get that. I've tried that. I've not had a lot of success. And the reason is, is that typically my belt is too tight on the drill press. I yeah, cannot you need some turn. Slip. You, yeah, I cannot turn by hand. So now I'm opening the lid of the drill press. I'm loosening the belt, blah, blah, blah. It's like, why not just use a tap follower? To me, it just, you know, kind of, it's two halves, one or the other, but yeah. it's something I've done for a long time. Just use Well, I, what I was going to say is depending on the quality of your equipment, like I would probably risk, uh, power tapping with like a, a craftsman drill press. That's like half a horsepower because they're not the sturdiest beasts. And so the belt is going to slip. But if I had something like an old Arboga or a Klausing, I'm not fucking risking risking that. You're gonna break that tap. It's just gonna if it binds up. It's just gonna, you know. You have no control, in yeah. my opinion. If you turn on a drill press now, what I what I was thinking was, instead of turning on the drill press, you would turn it by hand. And okay. what I found on this um, this young man's channel, uh, and I'll give him a plug. I'll also put it down in the show notes. It's called CN Things. CN like the letters C mm-hmm. as in Charlie N as in November things. And uh, if you, I'll put a link so you can go find him. Um, he, he, what he did was he turned a handle on a lathe, uh, a steel handle that fits in the little hole for your chuck. Mm-hmm. And he turned two of them so he could turn, he could get some leverage on the chuck while he was, uh, pulling down on the quill right so right. so so now you're 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 pulling down you're using your pulling down with your right hand and you're turning the chuck with your left mm-hmm. using this uh special handle so you ha- yeah yeah you have full manual control over full manual of not only rotation but also down feed exactly brilliant 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 yeah. i i thought how stupid am i to not have thought of this so i went to my drill press I measured the hole that my chuck key fits into. It's a quarter inch. No big deal. I go over to my tool chest. I pull out every old screwdriver I have in there. I have some (laughs) old Craftsman screwdrivers that have a quarter inch shaft Mm -hmm. on them. And I'm thinking, I'm going to do what this kid did. I'm going to make one of these, you know, manual tapping devices. Sincerest so, form of flattery is imitation, sir. Yeah, because if you think about it, the only problem I had was I couldn't get the chuck to turn. It wasn't that I couldn't line everything up. I couldn't hold everything together. It was that I just, at that point, could not, without turning the machine on, which, by the way, I think is a bad idea. Some people have messaged me and and said, no problem. In fact, one guy in on Instagram sent me an entire video of himself doing it. And more power to them. I don't trust myself or my equipment uh, to do that. Uh, you know, taps are expensive. You know, like decent yeah. taps are not cheap. 
So I'm like, you know what? It, to me, if I can get this thing started, I don't mind doing them by hand. I'm not doing hundreds at a time. Right, I'm right. Not a You're manufacturer. Not, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, doesn't bother me. I'll do them by hand. So, uh, you know, of course, if you're good like these other folks, you can turn on the machine, run it, blah, blah, blah. It'll work. Uh, I'm not disputing that. What I, what I was trying to do with that video was show somebody with a, with minimal equipment, with, you know, cheap taps. Yeah. Cheap tap followers. Yeah. That I, and, you know, stuff that they can punch. get, you know, that they've either already got in the garage or stuff yeah. that they can pick up at the Home Depot. Yeah, or or a Harbor Freight, yeah, and and yeah. still still achieve uh, some precision. You know, they're, of course, the old angry machiners are typing in, going, "Yeah, oh yeah, you know, that's not straight. That's not truly straight." You know, oh, my made my stomach turn that you didn't, you know, fix the, you know, whatever. And I'm yeah, just like, the, the, look, again, man, those guys did it are get the, the job done. Yeah, yes. they're the tool polishers. That you know, they they think they're all cool because it's like, yeah, I. I got this machine. It was built in 1943. It's a war surplus machine. And it's like the only reason why you have that is because it's not because they were built so great because the war surplus machines weren't that great. It's because everybody fetishized them there. I'm sorry. I've ran real equipment. A Bridgeport is a piece of shit. No it's kidding. You're floppy. Not probe. It's You're not, not rigid. It's so got way too many axes that can move on it. Like you've got so many, pivot points and stuff and unless you just reef on the on the the fasteners you can't there's not enough friction to hold everything in alignment yeah so if you're, you're using down, a, if you're using a bridge port regularly you have to fucking tram them in all the time so let me ask you this if you were going to buy a mill what would you buy i would look for either uh uh what the hell uh deckle or a mayho it's a European style mill. In fact, this old Tony is, he's doing a CNC retrofit on one. They're just a much better design for how you actually use a mill. The bridge port, the, the, the thing that's great about a bridge port is maximum versatility. What's bad about a bridge port is when you, just like a Swiss army knife, when you try to make a tool that can do everything, it doesn't do certain things spectacularly well. Yeah, I agree with that, by the way. And, and the reason why I like my Enco is that it? It can it 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 has legit stopped me from using my drill press like that. That machine, that Enco, mm -hmm. I can do so much with it. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a uh, what do they call that? A single cylinder uh, mill. It's a knee mill or something like yeah. that. They call it. Uh, it no, not a knee. That's mill. where that's the, a bridge port. Yeah, but, a, a uh, knee mill is where that the the table is attached to a separate um, slide that rides up and down. So the, the the table is actually the Z axis, whereas like a, a a what they call a a bench top mill or a uh, bed mill, that's where the head the spindle goes up and down on the column instead yeah. of vice versa. Yeah, that's what mine is. It it it, it the the quill the head just moves up and down. Yeah. I can adjust that up and down. But anyway, I love that thing. Uh, and uh, my buddy Scott, who sold it to me. Um, you know, he did me a solid by selling it to me super cheap. And I use that thing every friggin' day for something. I mean, I use it all the time. Um, best purchase I've made in my shop. Other than I, I would say still, it's my best purchase. My second best purchase is my CNC plasma table. Um, but, really? uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah I, I oh would have flipped yeah. those, but that's just me. 
I don't use the CNC as much. So I find that I'm drilling holes and milling a lot more than I'm actually cutting steel using plasma. Fair enough. So that Yeah. So I, I that's the way I look at yeah. any kind of tool. It's like, how much do I actually use it? Maximal um, utility. Yeah. Between my mill and my revolution, I use the revolution every day too. Uh, I would say those two tools. I didn't technically purchase the revolution so i built it but it's yeah i use a revolution constantly for a hundred different things i'm always modifying that thing to do different stuff but anyway going back to what i was saying about that uh uh the the whole concept of being able to um use a mill and do, do those things it's for me i'm i'm sold on um I'm I'm sold on my mill style, but I think I could definitely benefit from like a Bridgeport style mill or something well, that has a little bit more. Even uh, something features. like a RF45 would suit you better because the problem with your mill is that every time you move the head, it's slightly out of alignment because of the correct. round column. Yes, Whereas correct. an RF45, it's mostly still in tram as the head travels up and down. Speaking of this old Tony and a bomb seventy nine. Real quick, I want to talk about making threads because both of those guys <laughs> have different videos on actually creating threads yeah, in yeah. three-quarter steel. Okay, so I, I wasn't going to try to teach you how to turn a thread dear using sweet the Jesus. thread dial and stuff because that's, oh my God. that's something that if I was there in person, I could show you, you could in show me. Yes. 15 minutes. But trying to explain it step-by-step step over the internet, ugh, oh, dude. that makes my head hurt. So I watched a this old Tony video about him actually using a lathe to turn threads mm -hmm. into a piece of steel, and my mind just exploded. I, I was I have a Logan four hundred, which by the way, you can do what he mm -hmm. is explaining yeah. in that because I have got all a the gears. It's got a screw cutting uh, gearbox. Yes. yes, and I definitely want to learn that. I, I I know that I want to learn that. Yeah, I just Do didn't want to. I didn't want to try to convince you to experiment on this project. Yes, I knew so. that the die method would work for what you need, and it would provide a serviceable thread, and that's what you need. So I yes, exactly. So I watched a video, uh, a bomb seventy nine Adam, who lives in the great state of Florida. Uh, he showed a video of the differences between a hex die and a circular die. Mm -hmm. And I did not know this because I was about ready to pull the trigger and buy a hex die because I just didn't think there was any difference. Chasing and, versus tapping. Oh my God. Chasing versus tapping. There is a legit difference between those two taps. Mm -hmm. And thank God I watched his video because he explained it in the video and then actually demonstrated. Well, you know, now, if you ever have it, questions, I'm more than willing to answer them. Right. Not, and not I, that I don't want you watching the, the, the YouTube. Of course. Of course. Just and yeah, I would have I would, explained that difference to you in like 30 seconds. I clicked the video because I just wanted to watch somebody actually make threads right. on a piece of shaft. Right. I didn't know that there was going to be this educational component to it. Of course, it's A-Bomb 79. He's going to teach us a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. But so uh, anyway, I learned that is that you want to buy a circular die for cutting threads, not chasing threads. And uh, so, of course, that led me down the rabbit hole of a whole bunch of other things. But um, so 
uh, as you know, if you don't know, the reason why I want to do this is because I have a um, a buffing wheel attachment that I have created for the revolution. And I kind of created it and then put out a video and got uh, a lot of feedback on it, which was a lot of positive feedback because it did function, but there was a lot of actual problems with it. It, it just wasn't quite right and well, the main it was, problem it, was the shaft yeah it was more of a proof of concept which yes is important we proved it can when work you're, when you're when you're like what what you're doing you're creating so many accessories for your machine to make it more usable so you have to start at a certain base point i had no idea that if i would use uh, I, I got caught up in like watching luthier videos mm -hmm. the guys that make the guitar mm -hmm. uh, videos that in guitar makers that they were building these buffing machines and almost every single person on there was using a uh, threaded rod, like all thread. Mm -hmm. And I thought just automatically that I could do the same thing. Why not? They're doing it. And then of course the pillow block bearings, they wouldn't lock down because they had no surface. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a thread. It's not like a straight yeah, steel. You're only touching on the high points of the thread is so you've Yeah. You've got maybe 10% of the total surface area available. Yeah, and that just screwed me cuz they, they would they would just loosen themselves right up and yeah, then vibrate yeah. all to hell. So that was not a viable option. So then I go to Klingspore, I say I need this. Klingspore says, "We'll send you a mandrel." Great. They send me a mandrel. The mandrel is only threaded on one side, mm -hmm. not on the other side. The other side's tapered. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is great and all, but you sent me, you know, you know, only half of what I really need. And they're like, well, we don't make, you know, anything else. So I'm like, okay, fine. I, I, I can get that to function, but I still get a lot of vibration. So I now know that I'm, my shaft is a little too long for the spacing between the pillow block bearings. That's right, Sarah. My shaft is a little too long. <laughs> and uh, so, and and the, uh, it, it, I need to obviously shorten the entire situation. And I well, also yeah, need to and make the sure that I'm the using buffing the wheel shaft. for the size of shaft that it's on. That's a oh, huge it's a, it's lever a, arm. Yeah, it's a 10 inch buffing wheel and that's extended out four inches on one side. There's an eight inch span between the pillow block bearings, yeah. which is not too bad, but it's 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 a little bit much. I'm definitely stretching the limit of what these devices yeah, are supposed it's, to there's be. There's a, a common rule of thumb in machining called the rule of four. So like whatever the diameter of the material you're turning, you only want that much stuck out times four. So if you're oh, turning, I'm way over that. Yeah. You know. So if you're turning a one inch shaft, you only want four inches sticking out of the chuck. Yeah, so I'm way over that. Yeah, so what you're fighting is you're fighting your. Let's see here. It would be primary, maybe a little bit of secondary, but primary and tertiary forces because of the way that the the amplitude waves um are formed. Because you've got you've got the motor setting up its own frequency, and then you've got the belt uh, every time that uh the seam passes over the pulley, it's introducing a different frequency because it's only happening one time per revolution. Um, and then you've got the frequency, the natural frequency of the shaft, and then you've got the lever arm effect of the uh, buffing wheel on 
whatever you're actually putting against the buffing wheel. So it's feeding back into the shaft. And so that's that's your third uh, force or your third uh, frequency, uh, your tertiary frequency. So when, when you try to buff something with that buffing wheel, that buffing wheel is reacting against that surface and it's feeding it back into that shaft, which has its own frequency. And it's being acted on both by the belt and the motor. So yeah, you've, you've got... You've got some, uh, you've got some issues. So with all of those different uh, pieces of uh, energy modifying what should be a true turning shaft, which Klingspor claims, you know, their tolerances are really great. Mm-hmm. Of course, we've got all these these forces. You know, mm-hmm. these things like you're saying, they're you know pushing and pulling and doing their thing. They're going to try to do everything possible to get that shaft to spin out of true mm-hmm. uh, and so here's what i did i went to mcmaster car i told him what i wanted to do i need a true turning shaft three-quarter that i can put threads into mm-hmm. so that i can lock uh, uh down on both sides i can lock down different uh buffing wheels and still have enough length so that i can have a drive wheel in the middle Mm-hmm. which will allow the entire situation to turn, but I can have different grits going mm-hmm. on, you know, one on one side, one on the other, like more of a medium grit on one side and a, uh, a harder, uh, you know, um, coarser grit. On yeah. The like your side. rouge versus your, your, what's the fine white stuff called the diamond. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you'd use a diamond white. So they came back to me with a very economical, uh, uh, a, a, a shaft that's three quarter inch that um, is carbon steel. I can't remember the exact uh, alloy, but it's uh, a, it's a hardenable steel. Mm-hmm. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that shaft. They're going to send me one, by the way. So they're going to take that shaft. We're going to put threads in it. We're going to make sure it works. And then we're going to make sure it's true. Hopefully uh, if I can get my lathe, functional i think we can take any remove any variants out of the shaft according to them there shouldn't be any yeah according it's probably, to them it's it should be probably very, what very they call good. a tg and p uh so turned ground and polished yes and it's and they have like a, a very tight tolerance on yeah. these things they, it, it's, yeah it's, it's, it's probably good, half a thou if that yeah yeah exactly and so um they told me that it's hardenable steel. Yeah, so it's so, probably a four thousand series. I think yes, like exactly. a forty one forty or a forty. I think that's exactly what it is. It's a forty one forty. Okay, uh, and uh, so we will be able to turn the threads because it's annealed when you get it. So mm-hmm. you can turn the threads and you know make sure it works, and then we'll throw it in the forge. Okay, we'll be careful with that because depending Could on I how you it? cool it. You're probably going to have to cool it vertically so that you don't introduce any stresses into the bar. So let me ask you this. Should I just not even bother with hardening? I, I wouldn't bother. The, you're not going to be putting any actual wear on the bar. Okay. So okay. why harden it? Okay. You're not gonna yeah, get, that was my question. Yeah, you're not going to get know. any real benefit from it. I was you, just thinking you only harden, harden a shaft it. when you've got like a bearing actually riding on it. It's like, so like when you press a normal bearing on the, the actual location of the bearing, like that's the bearing is sitting on the shaft, but the bearing is not turning on the shaft. You know what I mean? The bearing yeah. is allowing the shaft that it's on to rotate, but all of the 
Whereas if you use like a needle bearing, that's when you want a hardened shaft because then the needle bearings is using the actual shaft as a wear surface. My question was, if I'm putting pressure on a 10-inch buffing wheel on either side- Hardening, could I, it won't give you any noticeable it, Okay, effect. that was my question. Yeah, yeah I didn't har- know. Hardening is mostly a skin effect. Okay. So you've, you've got your maximal hardness is at the outer surface, and then it gets softer and softer as it goes towards the core. So you, you, yeah. you do get a little bit of extra stiffness, I'm not going to lie, uh, but it's, it's really not noticeable for what you're going to do with it. Yeah. Okay, because it's we like the candy this. coating on a on a M M&M. and M. That candy coating gives the the shell of the M M&M and M like an incredible amount of uh, stiffness, but if you put enough pressure on it, it cracks. And it's the same way. Like if you were to put enough pressure on the skin of a hardened shaft, you're just going to crack the outer surface. You're not really going to, you know what I mean. Yes, I know exactly what you okay. mean. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and it makes sense to me. I just didn't know if that would, because we have the equipment to harden it. Yeah. Would it make sense to try it? I don't know. It, but it, here, it, yeah, it's it's not a bad idea. The problem is is that uh, heat treating, a, you know, versus a knife, you know, how, you know how a knife can move around? Even on a stock removal knife? Um, yeah, you start messing around with like tolerances on a shaft and then unless you're set up to, to tweak those settings back into place, you're you're it's easy to get that to move around so much that it's not straight anymore. Interesting. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So th- th- this is the project for the next week or so. So I may be reaching out to you like I know you're busy, so I, I don't want to bug you too much with it, but I think I'm gonna need some help with threading the no uh, the the threads but i i couldn't get left-handed uh i could there were i couldn't find a left-handed die so okay I, that i could get easily i, I, I was gonna so say I, even at mcmaster they've got everything mcmaster had them but uh they're really expensive i was so gonna I say was like, like a, 120 yeah so i yeah. i could for nine dollars on amazon i was able to get a right-handed thread yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I opted for that. Well, and, and we'll I, I told you how knot. to solve that problem. Yeah. Because I, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I was like, oh yeah. Cause it's like race cars. Uh, so like when they have center lock wheels, the right side is a left hand pitch and the right and the left side is a right hand pitch. So that as the wheels go forward, it's tightening the nuts on the, the center hub. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we we'll we'll be able to achieve. Yeah, just double nut it, and it'll be fine. Yeah, I'd like the double nut. That's for sure. <laughs> so speaking of that, I'm gonna uh, put my shaft between your pillows. <laughs> I'm gonna double nut you. Oh, oh, So all right. So right before I recorded this episode, Sarah, did you pull up the Work for It podcast uh, Instagram? Ah, uh, gee, baby, I did. So I posted a photo on there. And I said we're doing a we're doing a podcast. Oh, I posted on housework actually, not on not on the work for it podcast. But uh, a bunch of good questions were asked. So if you want to read uh, any of those questions, and then we'll answer them. So and then say who read the question. And uh, this is kind of fun because yeah, they do this on Night Talk. Shout out this. I love okay. this. Yeah. All right. This one is from Rusendahl Works. Yes, my main man, Chris. I okay. love him. Yeah. As you are your own boss, would you like your kids to be self-employed or would you be happy seeing them work for a company? 
Oh, you don't want, you want my to, opinion on that. Do you want me to read all the questions yeah. for the no, whole No, just thing? read that whole question. Yeah, it's do a great question. That, do you think that they will be content with that? I'm only asking because you have such strong views for being self-employed, and that will no doubt be shaping their mind with a clearly successful father figure. Uh, I want my kids to be happy, so they will do whatever... You know, I think there's only a certain, per, you know, people, regardless of whether or not they're my children, could be uh, uh, self-employed. It takes a very specific type of person to allow uh, for that. And I don't know if all of our children have it. I'm not honest. sure that they do. Yeah. I, I mean, it's hard to tell at this age. You know, the uh, I would say Dexter most definitely could be self-employed. I was thinking the same. Yeah, but the other two, I'm not sure yet. They're they're a little too small. Um, Look but, at that handsome, cheesy mug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it in terms of your children are people, and what? they have their own. Yeah, I know, right? And they have their own personalities, right? So they're they're all going to be kind of down whatever path. Uh, Emerson, our youngest, who's 11. He could like go either way. This guy could be the most ruthless CEO on the planet and make, you know, millions before he's 20 or work he, at a gas station. He could legit work at a <laughs> Dollar Tree and be a, be a <laughs> and stock be happy. boy. Yeah, I'd be fine with it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would never push self-employment to someone who I didn't think they could do it. I would. I, if you don't want to be a slave, don't ever ever put yourself in the position where you're going to allow society to dictate to you how you basically make someone else rich. But that's, but some people don't mind that. Some people go to work every day and I, plow yeah, and I understand and, that, but I'm yeah. saying the vast majority of people, I, I don't think they, if more people were self-employed like we were prior to the turn of the century, uh, I mean the night, the 20th century, uh, I think more people would be less afraid to go out there and earn their own crust. I think I think that's a majority of what it is, is that em- being an employee is considered safe. And I want to tell people that it hasn't been safe since the 50s. My Every year, it, pensions are going away. Every year, numbers of employees are cut. So you have fewer employees doing more work. Like the, it's, it's, it's far more riskier in my mind to subjugate yourself to work under someone else and allow them to set your earning capacity. When I work for someone else, I always use this uh, analogy. I had to make one guy happy. If I didn't make that one guy happy, I would lose my job. He had the power to refuse or change my life. In, in one uh, broad stroke of the pen, he could he could just remove me from my ability to make money. Now, when I'm self-employed, I have, as of right now, I have, you know, thousands of customers. And those customers, if one decides they don't mesh with my work anymore, hey, no big deal. I have, you know. 9,000 other customers I can work with uh, and it doesn't affect me. So yes, I believe in diversification of income. I think everybody should have uh, at least one side hustle. Uh, they should always have a six month uh, financial uh, pillow. Uh, to yeah. That, I mean, uh, I, I get where you're coming from, but like the, the reality is, is that that's for 
well over 50% of Americans. That's just not possible, Brian. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think the, the, the education has not been put forth. I think. Oh, too yeah, many but that's my problem. If you're an employee, that's the education you got. The, the, the system is set up to benefit certain people, and it's not the middle class, and it's not the lower class. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I just I just will tell someone if they tell me they can't do it or they can't do this and that, and then I follow them around for a day, and they're going to Starbucks, and they're buying, you know, $5 coffees every other day, and, you know, they're driving a Tahoe that they can't afford, and they live in a house that they can't afford. They're living above their means. I look right at them and go, you should live in the ghetto like I did for 10 years. And then eventually you'll be able to put enough money away so that you can hopefully climb and claw your way out of the middle class. The problem is, is we've been sold an, a, a concept of consumption where people think they got to have the nicest of everything. They got to buy the best and biggest of everything. Our fucking economy is built on that, bro. 100, 100% agree. Like, no, seriously, 90% of people's jobs is literally dependent on that. It's a lie, though. And I, and I understand so that. But what I'm they saying don't have is to buy into the lie. The, yeah. But the more the more people I don't like to term red pill, but the more people take the pill and see it for what it is, the more people are actually at risk. Because yeah, of how of it like because that. of yeah. how skewed the system is. Yeah, I've, I've thought of it in terms of like if everybody chose the path I chose, what would the world be like? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think that there's a system in play. And that uh, you can either leverage a system or the le- or the system will leverage you. That I agree with 150%. There you go. Finally, you and I agree on something like that. That's, that's Hey, man, I'm, I'm on your team. I just think that you're, you know, you're cheerleading for the wrong. I'm cheerleading for self-reliance, but. I, and see, I, I agree I, with I, that. I, want, I agree with that. I want people to understand that it's not for everyone. So if you climb up and you no, become it's not, self-reliant. But on, the, on the other hand, if you look at from like the, oh, whenever the feudal period ended up until when factory systems started, the majority of people were dependent on themselves for earning their own bread. But we've always had a peasant class system. You yeah. Know, we've had we've had that, you know, kings and queens and then you had that middle class, and then you had the peasants, and you always had that. The middle class, man. The middle class really was a blip in history. It was not. I agree with that too. It was not a. You know, everybody gets this idea. You know, they think of Leave It to Beaver and Lucy. Leave. Uh, I love Lucy, and like that. That is such a blip in history. That's not really over the long run of civilization. And you look at it like the middle class. That that was almost a happy accident after World War II. Yeah, it was. It's it's an interesting thing when people talk about that because they don't realize that it was such a short period of time. There is still a middle class. It exists, but it's even smaller. Oh, it's it's shrinking it's by so the day. Small. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, Sarah, what's the next question? All right. Um, what's your guys' biggest pet peeves in your shop? Put shit back where you found it. If it's not yours, <laughs> don't fucking touch it. Yeah. Wait, I, I am with you. Uh, inefficiencies in a workshop is, and, I, and I'm I'm the only one that hangs out in my workshop other than my kids, and uh, my kids are there very rarely. So yeah, I, I am guilty of this. Let me just give you a story real quick. I'm filming that uh, video that I put out last week of the double tap thing, and uh, I'm I take ten minutes to try to find. All right, Sarah, what? 
I forgot to say who that was from. Who's it from? It's from Mammoth Creek Knives. Mammoth Creek Knives. Yes. Inefficiencies in a workshop. This is funny. So I'm filming that piece on tapping through a piece of tube steel. And I am looking for my Allen wrench and my box end wrench so that I can loosen up the vise that's on my drill press and I cannot find it anywhere. Either of those tools. I know they're together. I don't know where they are. I'm wandering around my shop. I'm like, man, it's not on that. It's not on there. It's not over there. It's not in my tool chest. What the hell did I do with it? And then I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just take a break. I'm going to get a drink. I'm going to have my lunch. I'm sitting there. I'm having my lunch. And when I have my lunch, I uh, sit on this like little white plastic stool. And I usually like FaceTime Sarah. And I lift my leg up and I realize that something is heavy inside of my apron. And I had slid oh, both of those tools they were right there. into the pockets <laughs> of my apron. Oh. Uh, at, at least you weren't a complete dumbass. I've literally held a tool in my hands that I'm looking for. I've done that too. Carrying it around like it's my safety blanket. And I've it's done like- that with my phone, <laughs> my glasses. Yeah. So Wait, so you, you didn't have a camera running at I the moment no, when you- No, oh. I was so frustrated. I, I, and then I that pulled these tools out. Because, you know, I'm, I'm doing 10 things at once. I'm filming. I'm creating something. I'm also like actually doing the work. And of course, I tighten this thing down and I instinctively slide these tools into my apron pocket. And uh, and by the way, Chris uh, mentioned that I looked good in my last video. He's like, you don't look like that fat piece of shit you talk about on the podcast. Blah blah. I, I laughed so hard. He's like, unless you're wearing a pair of Spanx under that butcher's apron you've got on. That guy <laughs> I don't got think, me I don't so think Spanx, hard. I don't think that Spanx would go well with your uh, your moisturizing and uh, uh, I'm willing to try team. anything. I have to keep this muffin top <laughs> back. I have to keep it back. I need some sort of, what do they call that thing where they, they, uh, a corset. I need a corset. You, you, you need one of those. It. Oh God. You need one of those. What are they? The belly wraps that are supposed to, you can sweat it off. It's like, no, that it doesn't work like that, but thanks. The plastic for, thing. Yeah. The way these women wrap themselves in saran wrap to get rid of cellulite. Yeah. I need to wrap my head in that. Oh, are you talking about a trainer? No, uh, I no, don't know what it's is, called. It's just well, so in the like army a waist trainer. No, it's in the like army they wrap. used to have this thing called the Fat Boy Program because they went off the BMI. So I knew some guys that were they were stacked. They were big guys, but because their height and their weight didn't fall within some chart that some pencil pushing geek in the Pentagon wrote down, these poor fuckers would have to starve themselves to meet the tape test. Meanwhile, these little scrawny bitches that couldn't pick up a fucking artillery round and get it shoved in the barrel or in the the chamber, you know, like they're just fucking killing us because we can't put rounds down range on time like we're supposed to when we've got all these fucking anemic little twigs. But our our big, robust guys, oh, well, you don't meet the tape test, so we're going to fucking harass you. They're eating like one cracker a day to make weight, and they would... They would put this like Velcro and rubber thing around their waist so that they would sweat their balls off all day long. So all they're doing is dropping water weight. They're not actually losing fat. But to play the game for the Army's BMI tape test bullshit, this is the kind of shit that they had to suffer with. 
um, I was looking ahead to the next question and um, it was somebody requesting a uh, a rant from you. <laughs> and See, that's a twofer. Yeah. I don't think you ever have to request a rant. It was Ben. It, it was Ben. It's it's and, my buddy Ben. My, yeah. My, yeah, I love Ben. I'm doing a collab with him right now. So. And he said, so far, I tend to agree with him on. Well, he said, I want to hear 307 Driftwood rant. So far, I tend to agree with him on a lot. Housework, you need to step it up. You set a new level with your play shower, making the wifey laugh. I dare you to try and shock me. Oh, my God. That didn't shock him? I know. My powdered donut? He said you set a new level. <laughs> uh, yes, you're powdered I don't need, donut. I, I, that even shocked myself. I listened back to that episode, and I was like, man, I can't believe I talked about that. That's I can't believe you control. did either. You could have cut that out, and I would have been like, okay. No, that's radio gold right <laughs> but there. You can't cut I would have accepted that with <laughs> no problem. And But then I commented on it, and I said, he is literally ranting right now. Because <laughs> you were just like going off. Yeah, so so Ben, you got your you got your rant, uh, you know Trent's rant, which by the way is like pretty much every fifteen minutes in the show, you know, is like Trent kind of, you know we have to like calm him down, like okay, so it's all right, it's all right, put some it's ice okay. on it, yeah, put some ice on, settle it, down, so, so yeah, <laughs> so all right, do we have any other questions? We so, have more questions, um. I have to say, Sarah, you are an excellent PA. <laughs> she really is. She takes a minute. She's just, you know. I'm a little slow. She's good. Uh, best deal for a straight razor from Lee Collar. Oof. It's a, I don't know. I've never made a straight razor. Well, it's thin, right? Like, it straight doesn't really have thin. much of a. Straight razors uh, have a hollow grind. Yeah, and they don't have much of a spine. Yeah. Well, so so you you, you want a steel that will take a nice edge, but won't warp to shit when you heat treat it. So I would think I, I'm going to say a stainless steel like AEBL. No, no, no. You don't want to scrape that shit across your face. You want a good carbon steel. I'm going to answer this question, Lee. Neither of these two know. We are so not qualified. Don't go to off of question. their guesses. Let's. I will also well, say. Well, yeah, I, I I don't know the right steel to use, but I know the right questions to ask. And the right questions to ask is you want something that's going to hone a very fine edge and you want something that's not going to warp to shit when you heat treat it. So that really narrows down a lot of possible choices. And don't, I, I love Brian, but no, stainless steel is not really something that you want as an heirloom quality tool that you're going to scrape across your face. Stainless steel it throws too many burrs and it's just it's it's not a good knife steel i don't care what everybody else is peddling stainless steel has too many additives that it's it's the nickel more than the chromium that really makes it a bad knife steel i will say that when i started using carbon knife uh carbon steel knives that i was really impressed because my whole life I'd only been using stainless knives, you know, because that's what you buy in the store. Mm-hmm. And um, when I when I made my first carbon steel knife, which was out of ten ninety five, I was I was just blown away at <clears throat> edge retention, um, just the way the knife uh, felt. It just felt stiffer. I was able to do a lot more with it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm sure there's stainless steels that will do similar things. 
Um, but I've just had a really good experience with carbon, uh, high carbon steels. So that's my, that's my take on that. I don't know, but I've never made a straight razor, so I can't really comment on it. Do you think you I might? Uh, no, I don't think I'll, I have no. Dude, desire. you should make a hog splitter slash, uh, straight razor. Like a little miniature hog splitter. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool that you could shave with. Yeah, Yeah, that'd that'd be kind of neat. That'd be cute. Yeah, that'd be badass. All right, cool. All right, from B Cone Knives. Outside of equipment, do you have any advice for someone preparing to shoot a YouTube video? Any tips on how to do things more efficiently while on camera? Any wisdom would be appreciated. I can't give him any advice except for this. Uh... And this is from me learning the hard way. You have to actually plan your shots ahead of time so that you can most efficiently move between tasks and reorienting the camera. Yeah, that is everything a, else is one. on Brian. Yeah, that's a big one. I've I've got some real uh I've got a lot of thoughts on creating content. Like you can go no, a number of ways, but the trifecta is uh, number one, definitely have to have a plan for the video. You can't just like sit down and go, I'm going to shoot a video on this and then just hope to God it comes together. You should really put a lot of thought into it. Number two, uh, you have to have good audio. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, you, you know, some of the best content I've ever made is, you know, made with an iPhone or whatever. Yes, I have a, a video on my channel right now that's got a million plus views that was shot on an iPhone in five seconds. Uh, in five minutes, I mean, and, uh, and, and that's, that's all well and good. However, it's not sustainable in my opinion. I think you need to have, you know, uh, you know, step up your game as far as quality goes. Do you, could you start off with an iPhone and, or shoot it with a low end camera? Of course, if your content is really good. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't have the level they don't have that idea yet. They don't, they haven't had enough experience. So you have to sort of balance it between good quality video and audio and then, and then work up to the content stuff. You you start learning like what your audience wants to see and also how to edit that content together, you know, uh, making sure that you cut out all the unnecessary stuff. Um, uh, for instance, Trent sent me a video recently and it's, Really great as far as the information goes. Oh, yeah, but it's so slow. Oh, my God. I mean, but that video, if you look at it, it's got a hundred and I don't know, probably has 200,000 views on it right now. And uh, it, it, which is fine and dandy, but it's slow. And it's, you know, he's, he's probably not gaining a ton of subscribers from it because people are just like, oh, yeah, this is great information, but this guy's just droning on. Um, very long winded. So, you know, try to be as precise as, or concise as possible. Um, it, it, let's see, what's the question again? Do you have outside of equipment? Do you have any advice for someone preparing to shoot a YouTube video? Um, outside of equipment, I would say the first thing I do when I sit down to make a piece of content is I think about who is going to watch it, my audience. And I think about what they will take away from it. So if I can bring them value, then most definitely that video is going to be successful. Uh, And that quality over quantity all day long. So if you can bring value and then you can plan that out and share that with a community, you're golden. 
I think that's a great answer. There you go. Um, Brian also said, thank you to all three of us. Um, our antics keep him entertained when he's away from the shop. So that's nice. Oh, nice. That is nice. Thank you for listening to our antics. All right. You want to do another question? Yeah. Let's, let's just run them out. All right. Another one from Rusendahl Works. Are you going to let us see you build some of those collab knives that you've been um, making in a YouTube vid? Uh, maybe. The, I, well, here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm doing a collaboration with Ben Siegel, who is uh, a friend of mine, and uh, uh, he is uh, another knife maker. He's doing the handles. Uh, his Instagram is Ben Makes. He also has another one called Ben Ben's Bites, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll link to that down below. Uh, ben and I um, came to this idea where we were going to do some Japanese style knives. Uh, recently, I I have those knives cut out. I have them annealed, and then I hit a wall with the project. And then um, until I was completely honest with myself and him, we did not come up with a solution to that wall. But recently, I don't know if you saw this, Trent, on Instagram, that I mm-hmm. had set up my uh, pneumatic file in a clamp yep. and then started doing my texturizing using that. So when you make a knife like I make them, which is stock removal based, uh, I'm not forging knives, Um they tend to be a little bit uh, cookie cutter, you know, because it's just flat steel, it's flat stock. So everybody tries to like kind of make them, you know, flashy and do some different texturizing things to the blades. And uh, I used to do that with a ball peen hammer and I would work with like 0.187 steel, which is like three sixteenths of an inch. And then I would grind them down. Well, you would quickly learn that when you're making a kitchen knife to grind down a kitchen knife to say 0.1, from 0.187 is a lot of work and it's oh, just yeah. it I mean, makes no that's sense 50 percent stock removal it is practically. Yeah, yeah exactly so it's just really difficult it takes a ton of time and it's just a waste of resources and whatever so i bought uh adcrv2 our lord and savior adcrv2 <laughs> glory be to he's you. got his hands up and he's waving them around uh, and then, uh, so uh, I bought a, I bought some point one two five, so eighth of an inch thick eighty uh, CRV two from New Jersey Steel Baron, which is where I buy my stock steel. And uh, I'm thinking, great, uh, we do this collaboration. He sends me uh, a, a, a quick CAD drawing of what he wants the shape of the knife to be. It's a Japanese style. Uh, I take that, I put it into fusion, I make my own thing, I, 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 blah, 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 I put it in the, the CNC table, I cut it, we talked about all that. And uh, and then I go to um, texturize them. And what I'm finding is even after they're annealed, when I texturize them using a ball-peen hammer, they become so warped that they're no longer the same shape, you know, that I, oh, cut, yeah. I bought, I didn't buy, you know, I shouldn't have bothered to cut them out on the plasma tail until uh, plasma table until I uh, actually texturized them because it just, they, they just, uh, you know, the spine, everything moves. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wild. How well, it will move. <clears throat> not to interrupt you, but there's the reason for that is uh, my guess is that it's a pretty fine grain steel. And so every time you hit it with a hammer, uh, 
those are compressive forces. And the thing about moving steel that people don't really understand. So if you put a dent in one side, that compresses the other side is in tension. So you've always got two sides of the same scale, which is tension and compression. And when you put tension into something and it's fine grained, it has to give somewhere else. And that's where your warp is coming from. Unless you had something that was dead annealed, meaning the grain structure is what it is, but there's absolutely no tension in it because they've gone through the appropriate heating and cooling cycle. And even then, when you beat the shit out of it, you're going to be having compressive forces on one side and tension forces on the other side. Yeah, it, it is uh, it is the epitome of for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction when you're beating on this thing. It is like you hit it in one spot and then, you know, three inches over, there is a reaction, you know. Uh, it, it, you learn a lot about that when you're like cold hammering steel or even, I mean, I would imagine hot hammering steel when it's coming out of a forge is even more um, extreme. Uh, so anyway, uh, long story short is uh, I am, I've worked out now using a pneumatic file in a clamp to achieve a very similar look. So you're like kind of a gouging it i'm gouging it yeah exactly nice. and without putting any stress on the steel exactly you're, you're you're removing material rather than displacing material and so you're not having the same compression tension effects yes and and because it's annealed the steel is just it i have these little ceramic belts that are like uh three-eighths of an inch thick Mm -hmm. in this uh, pneumatic file uh, uh, grinder, which, by the way, I got at Harbor Freight, and I, and I would imagine the stress that I'm putting on the grinder is by far uh, more stress than I'm putting on the steel and will eventually fry that grinder because it's just not designed to run like that. You know, it's just not designed to be consistently No, but you don't, don't want to see what the price tag on a real Dynafile is. Oh, my God. I've looked. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because I, after I figured this out, I was like, oh, shit, I need one. Of I need a good one, you know? Yeah, no. Uh, you can yeah. probably go through 10 Harbor Freight ones before you approach the cost of a Dynafile. So I'm using a lot of uh, uh, oil, you know, I, and mm -hmm. I'm trying not to stress the file out too much. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have achieved a really cool look, and I think it'll be even cooler once I heat treat it, because mm -hmm. it'll leave the uh, the dark uh, low low spots will be dark. So I'm 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 looking forward to that. So yeah, maybe I'll make a video on that and uh, share it. Although my knife making videos are are you know not very sought after. You know I'm not a I'm not a I'm a, I'm a maker, but uh, I think people that watch my channel are more. You're the grinder guy. Yeah, I'm the grinder guy. So, you know, but at the same time, I love making knives and I can kind of fold in all that stuff to the, the grinder stuff too. Cause you know, I, I'll use, you know what I'll I would like jigs and all that too. Sorry to interrupt. Sure. No, go ahead. No, I, I, so I love tomahawks and hatchets. Okay. If I could get something that was like a mix between a hatchet and a machete, I would use the shit out of that thing. Because a that way and a machete. Yes, because that way, you know, if you overswing on a hatchet and you hit the the uh, handle area, you know, you're only gonna do that once or twice before you've ruined the handle. But if you accidentally overstruck and the handle area was actually blade and it was built for that, then it doesn't matter that you overstruck. Interesting. 
You should draw that out for me. I, I'd, I'd like to see what your thoughts are on what that. Yeah, it, like. it'd basically be a hammer on the end of a machete, but with a an actual hatchet. Well, ta- a tomahawk shape on the end. I, so I don't know if you could do it all in one piece, because the area directly under the curve of the tomahawk doesn't need to have a blade on it, but the area below that does. So that if you did overstrike, you still have a good, thick, hardy cutting edge. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you would do that. You'd probably have to forge the whole thing. Well, because one piece yeah, you'd probably have to forge the whole thing. It would have to be a full tang, and you know, then fit the handle at the very end. Because I, I don't use very much of a handle. Like when I have a hammer, I'm out there on the very end because I use the hammerhead. I don't choke up on a hammer, so I like a heavy hammer but I like a short handle. That way I'm not torquing the shit out of my wrist because I have carpal tunnel. So like I, I want to sink a nail in one blow. I don't want to tippy tap, you know, same way with a sledge. I'll take a sledge and I'll cut two feet off the handle. So I've only got a 12 to 15 inch handle on it so I can beat the living shit out of something. Yeah. You let the hammer do the work. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I, uh, I'm a big fan of S wing hammers. They were made in mm-hmm. my hometown. And uh, I that steel shank is amazing. It is, and uh, it's a great hammer. It, it, and they're long handled, so mm-hmm. you can get a grip on the lower end and let the head do the work. Yeah, I like uh, a I like a twenty two ounce because I can I can one simple flick of my elbow, try not to like use my wrist, but one simple flick of the elbow, and I can drive a sixteen penny nail clear to the. Clear what, the, and, and like the, balsa wood or no pine <laughs> yellow pine and like in like like an eighth inch thick piece of yes no compressed marshmallow yeah i don't got yeah. i don't got time to be fucking <laughs> <around>. <laughs> all right well on that note i'm gonna say this has been oh wait sarah's shaking her head what 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 do i what do i have a, we've what forgotten I have something i have a shout out you have a shout out. All I right, do. do it. All right, lean into the microphone a little bit. I have a shout out All right. to Trent's wife because they sent us an awesome package of masks and f bombs, and it was awesome. Explain what the f bomb is, because that- it's like a little knitted ball. Is it knitted or is it crocheted? It's crocheted. Okay, it's a little crocheted. It looks like a like a bomb, like a Super Mario mm-hmm. little b- bomb with fuse, and then there's an F on it. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Yeah, we love it. And you know what we're going to do with those? We're going to put hooks on them, and we're going to hang them on our Christmas tree. Awesome. This so year. festive. Yes. Awesome. And my mother will be shocked <laughs> and awed oh by my God. this. And we'll have to hang them in the top foot of the tree so that they don't end up in the dog's mouth brian what's this (laughs) what's this little bomb here it's got an f on it i'm like it's an f bomb mom it stands for the word f oh don't i'm not gonna say it because i can't say it but i'm just saying you know i would never say that word in front of my mom i would never be very upset i i'm glad that you guys appreciate that because i i was hoping that you guys would like it but after the wine i was like uh is this even going to make an impression? What do you mean? I love the wine. Oh, yeah. The wine is great. We're savoring it, by the way. Fin- <laughs> uh, you finished the bottle. No, like oh. I'm obsessed with it, but Brian is like, well, that, it's really sweet. One, so, it's, fair. We, so Brian had 
like one glass of it and I drank the rest of it. It was so, it's Lawrence my favorite Welk. wine. Lawrence, Lawrence Elk. Lawrence Elk. Yeah. That is my new favorite wine. So thank you, Trent. We appreciate you. You're very welcome. All right, everybody. Is that it, Sarah? Have we met all the requirements for the show? We went through the show notes. I didn't call out her handle. I don't know it. Oh, At Raptors are my happy place. Say it one more time. At Raptors are my happy place. R-A-P-T-O-R-S, yeah. like the birds of prey. Very good. She's Find awesome. Her on Instagram. She is awesome. She's. I really lucked out when she decided that she was going to let me hang around. Yeah, you did. I feel the same way, by the way. Every day. You you feel that I lucked out when she let me hang around? <laughs> well, that and I feel that that I lucked out with Sarah. Oh, you me. you yeah. definitely did because you you can hear the eye rolls from he, this side of the microphone, dude. You only get a half of it. Trust me on that. Oh. Every day I oh. I say something that I should be kicked out of the house for, no <laughs> doubt. Every day, so. But listen, uh, I'm sure it'll come up. <laughs> yeah, they, no. Thank doubt. God for their patience. That's all I, mean, I can say. I stir the sauce daily. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> Do my little wiggle and my little dance on the way out of the well, shower. She says so. she likes it. That's generally a good sign. I think she likes it. I laugh a lot. She laughs a lot. So I'm enjoying Raptors life. The best medicine. It is. It is. I'm a happy camper. On that note. I'm going to say this has been work for it. And uh, if you have enjoyed our little, uh, gosh, how long have we been doing this tonight? Uh, two hours. Oh, my God. Half. Two hours <laughs> <laughs> of this audio content. Make sure you go out and give us a five-star review and rating on Apple iTunes. It would help a lot. Uh, and also make sure you go back to the makery.network website and check out all of the other shows. In fact, uh, I wanted to give a shout out to all of our uh, brothers and sisters out there doing the hard work that is podcasting, uh, the handmade podcast, the art of craftsmanship, full blast, simple little life, young makers podcast, knife talk and over seasoned, which we don't talk a lot about because it's a cooking one. And we're in, and, and I, I just haven't like, I haven't dived in, dove into what they've been up to, uh, but uh, I have heard really good things about overseas, and so I'm going to start listening to that on the regular. But uh, but anyway, thank you so much for all of your support. As always, there are links down in the show notes where you can support our show through buying key nutrients, uh, hydration powder, because it's important to stay hydrated. Lots of good reviews on that, and uh, I drink multiples every day. It's got electrolytes. It's got electrolytes. You need electrolytes. That's right. So if you're foraging, you're doing anything outside or you're hot, uh, like I am very hot. I'm a very hot man, uh, according to my (laughs) wife. Uh, And uh, you need electrolytes for sure. So anyhow, thanks for listening, guys. We truly appreciate you. We hope to hear you on the next podcast. My name is Brian House. This has been Housework and Work For It. Bye, folks. Ah, I was waiting for it. Bye, folks. Bye. Welcome to Costco. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what you were waiting for. I didn't know what your face was. (laughs) If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.